0: Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart.
1: And I think what we're doing and the recent uh, problems with high water extraction and who is actually extracting the water and where is it going, um, who owns water, I mean this this has put a lot of pressure on Aboriginal people being ousted from those conversations because When the water was separated from the land in 2004, Aboriginal people weren't uh, given the opportunity to have water ownership. Uh, They weren't discussed in any way um, how they would fare once we went into a market-based system.
0: Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. Water management in the Murray-Darling Basin is extremely complex, defined by the differing and in some cases opposing needs of communities, agribusiness and the environment. This week on the program, we look at the tension between the financial cost and the broader value of water in the basin, and the impact this is having on the biggest river system on the continent. We'll hear from Dr. Virginia Marshall, author of Overturning Aquinalius, Securing Aboriginal Water Rights, and Indigenous Postdoctoral Fellow at the Australian National University, and Mel Gray, Healthy Rivers Ambassador for the Macquarie and Castlereagh Rivers in Dubbo. This is Mel Gray.
2: My name's Mel Gray. I'm a Healthy River Ambassador for the Macquarie and Castlereagh Rivers in Dubbo.
0: So to start right at the beginning, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the shape or the extent of the Murray-Darling River System, could you briefly describe where it is, where it goes, and the importance of the Murray-Darling Basin and river system?
2: Yeah, the Murray-Darling Basin is the biggest river system in Australia. It's a very important river system, environmentally, culturally, socially, um, economically, Um, It's massive. It goes from southern Queensland. It covers most of New South Wales uh, west of the Great Divide and down through parts of Victoria along the Murray River and then through to Adelaide, through to, well, through to South Australia, through to the Coorong and the mouth of the Murray.
0: And in terms of... Uh, where things are at. I mean, how, how would you describe the current situation for the Murray-Darling Basin?
2: It's crisis. It's in a tipping point now, and this has been coming for many years. Um, for many years, the, the plan, at the Murray-Darling Basin plan, has been diverted from its original intent. Uh, the intention of the Water Act 2007 and the Murray-Darling Basin plan was to make sure that the environmental needs of the basin are put first, so that the river can be there and exist in times of drought be resilient to drought and then work out how much we can afford to take out for uh, extractive industry um, we've been going down a path that's been gradually railroaded off track um, and to the point now where the current drought uh, has caused an extreme situation where Uh, some of our rivers, and the Darling River is on the verge of ecological collapse.
0: Mm. I mean, you're in Dubbo. How would you describe the local feeling about this issue?
2: Well, Dubbo is unique in that it's uh, between Barrandong Dam and uh, the main extractive industries uh, downstream. So quite often we see large flows through Dubbo. And we do have... Uh, a a nice little environmental package, uh, licences from Barrandong to service uh, the regulated Macquarie and the unregulated uh, Macquarie and to the Macquarie marshes, the internationally significant Ramsar listed Macquarie marshes and then um, hopefully get some water through to the Barwon that way. So there is a a, um, nice bit of environmental watering that happens in the Macquarie but Predominantly most of the water in any usual year that comes out of Barrandong is for extraction. So after the environmental flow, um, it's it's really incredible to imagine that the majority of the water that passes through Dubbo is getting extracted um, after the environmental flow is finished. Fish and all, too, we're still in the process of getting filters on our... um, on the uh, irrigation pipes so uh, it's just so hard to imagine if you saw the flows that can go through Dubbo from December through to March in any given year and just to get your head around the fact that you know just about all of that water well all of that water is for extraction in one way or the other is is just something amazing to try and get your head around and and quite shocking.
0: So the current regulations around water management for the basin are very complex Um, but in terms of, you mentioned the goal of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan is to, I suppose, prioritise the environmental management of the region. I mean, would you say that that is something which is working at the moment?
2: Well, it's not working, and that was one of the major findings of the South Australian Royal Commission. The South Australian South Royal Commission actually went so far as to say the implementation of the plan has gone so far off track that um, it's illegal. Um, it also, the South Australian Royal Commission also found that the um, Murray-Darling Basin Authority and the Commonwealth have not taken into account climate change Uh, at all in the policy and the rules and the water sharing plans and the water management rules that the states use to calculate inflows has not taken into account climate change and has quite directly avoided the the data uh, from the millennial drought years in order to maximise general security irrigation accounts, extraction accounts that's a significant problem. Now we're facing a drying, severely drying climate that's happening right before our eyes and climate change is having a major impact on river health Um, and all the rules are deliberately set up to um, ignore climate change and drought data.
0: Mm. So in terms of climate change, which is obviously a Really key issue here. You mentioned the millennial drought. For our listeners who might not be closely engaged with that, could you describe what the millennial drought is?
2: The millennial drought was a drought that happened between about 2002. It it broke about 2009, 2008 or somewhere around there. Um, It was at its most severe in 2007, and that was when a lot of towns... Um, up here in the northern basin, at least, that I know of, were um, quite close to running out of water. And um, the lessons that should have been learned in the millennial drought um, have not been learned by uh, New South Wales Water Management, for sure, and um, the um, NDBA policy settings. The millennial drought um, nearly saw the Murray River collapse the, it was the biggest blue green algae bloom in the history of the world happened it was a shocking event and it shocked then prime minister conservative prime minister John Howard to dedicate 13 billion dollars worth of taxpayer money into a process to save the river because we nearly lost the uh, Murray Darling the Murray River And uh, so we've got all this money put away, half of it's been spent, and now we're here in another drought. We don't know how long this drought's going to be, but if we look at climate change realities, it's not unreasonable to expect. It could be just as long as the millennial drought, which doesn't bear thinking about because it's a very severe drought that we're in. Um, And um, it's... It's just unfathomable, but our rivers are in poorer health now than they were before the implementation of the Basin Plan.
0: Mm. And as a result of that sort of thing, would you say that the the fish kills at Menindee that um, captured some news attention in January, maybe listeners would have seen the the really distressing images that came out of those uh, lakes of the fish that were dead on top of the water. I mean, would you say that's a result of this sort of mismanagement?
2: It is definitely a result of mismanagement. If there had been more water in the system, there would have been much more chance for fish to jump between connected pools. Of course, the river has stopped flowing in drought, and this is what people say. Oh, it's, it's meant to stop flowing in a drought, but it has never dried up like it has. I'm talking about the Darling River now It has never dried up like it has Um, We have stopped flow conditions before And that's what caused this historic, extreme, catastrophic environmental collapse That we saw, ecological collapse When all those millions of fish died, a million fish died Uh, So on the Darling River uh, we've had stop flows there between 1946 and 2002. We had two stop flows between 2002 and 2016. We've had 15 stop flows, um, and it's, it's you can put that down to mismanagement.
0: I mean, that seems to be a really significant change, and it is um, concerning that you mentioned that uh, the modelling for the Millennium Drought period of that is excluded. From mm. the current uh, plan, um, mm-hmm. in terms of that, we focused a lot on um, the problems. W- what are the main things that Healthy Rivers is asking for to try and make some change?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we can, um, we have to get the basin states back. Um, on track and get them on board. There's been um, some historic tensions between um, all the states, uh, so we need to we need to sort of take charge there and and um, you know force them to, their hand to play get, play ball a bit. I think uh, we need to look at the um, the basin plan is shifting gear now and it's moving into efficiency projects, which is supposed to um, modernise all irrigation equipment. Use less water, and therefore not have to recover water through buybacks. We need to look at all this because there's major concerns uh, that the water saving isn't can't be equated to real water, and there's lots of science behind why that's the case. Um, there's there's a proposal of infrastructure projects which seek to put concrete and. Um, earthworks into our rivers and wetlands to reduce their natural form so that they don't are more efficient. This language is bizarre. Like, they're trying to make rivers and wetlands more efficient by, by um, modifying and putting weirs and, and concrete channels and pipelines into wetlands. And Like, a river doesn't have to be efficient with water. It's, so we need to look at that. Uh, we do need some traditional owners from the basin on the board of the um, NDBA. Uh, the the Murray-Darling Basin load.
0: Authority. The, yep. the
2: authority, yep. absolutely. We need at, at least one, you know, to start with. Um, there's We need an audit of environmental water savings to date. Uh, we're concerned, um, because of a couple of examples we've talked about, of what we've got in the public kitty. Is it really there in physical water? Uh, Now, Federal Labor have put through a motion to reverse the 1,500 gigalitre cap on environmental water buybacks. That's crucial. We need to get water buybacks happening again. Uh, We need the legal protection of publicly owned environmental water. Now, water that we buy with Commonwealth money under certain license conditions in many unregulated rivers can be legally extracted for profit. Once we buy the water, we're saying it should stay in the river, it should stay in the wetlands to do its job. We don't think it should be extracted for profit. And we really want that looked at. Um, we, We need to have the water portfolio removed from the agricultural portfolio, get the fox out of the hen house and give it back to give the water Back to the environment portfolio, which would happen under a federal labor government. We need a federal ICAC with retrospective powers to satisfy us that there hasn't been um, any corrupt dealings, especially in New South Wales, especially at a Commonwealth level. Uh, we need a federal, well, a federal review with broad powers to look at the basin plan as a whole would be fantastic, Um, a federal um, EPA to um, monitor and ensure compliance of the MDBA. It's because at the moment it marks its own homework. Um, We'd like the Northern Basin amendments, which have removed 70 gigalitres of environmental water target from the Northern Basin. We need that looked at because we have serious issues after the modelling that was used. To come up with that figure, they've taken water off our environmental accounts in some of our rivers with wetlands, internationally significant wetlands, um, and we uh, very much want to have a relook at those decisions for using real science that that is available. It just doesn't uh, seem to carry much weight when there are political decisions around. So. Um, Yeah, that's a good starting place that we could go from
0: there. That was Mel Gray, Healthy Rivers Ambassador for the Macquarie and Castle Ray Rivers in Dubbo, speaking about water management in the Murray-Darling Basin. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you a discussion about water management in the Murray-Darling Basin. Next, we'll hear from Dr Virginia Marshall about Aboriginal water rights.
1: My name is Dr Virginia Marshall. I'm a Wurundjeri Nyemba woman and I'm the Indigenous Postdoctoral Fellow for the Australian University in Canberra.
0: Thanks for joining us on the program today, Dr Marshall. Could you explain how Aboriginal water rights work currently in the context of the Murray-Darling Basin? Yeah,
1: well, I guess the the most important thing is to... um, look at the, the work of the Royal Commission into the Murray-Darling Basin in South Australia and, and that clearly um, states that Aboriginal peoples must be included in all of the decisions and discussions on uh, what their uh, role is and what they can contribute to um, ensuring the Murray-Darling Basin Plans and the broader um, legislation and regulations are uh, conducted. And and that's one of the most important parts that can be taken out of Chapter 11 of the Royal Commission's report, which is dedicated to Aboriginal engagement. And it's the first time that any um, uh, party, any person of the statute of the Royal Commission... Uh, has identified the um, function, like the important function, of and role of Aboriginal peoples in the Murray Darling Basin. So, this is the first time that we have been acknowledged in in the fullness of our rights and responsibilities and obligations.
0: And you are an expert witness. Um, in I, that I, Royal Commission? I
1: gave evidence and my um, uh, book, Overturning Equinalius, which came out of my doctoral thesis in law, was used by the, the commissioner in the Royal Commission to understand uh, not only uh, what is occurring in the Murray-Darling Basin, but also as a seminal work. Um, my, my doctoral thesis was the first of its kind and that was um, published in 2007, and my award was conferred in uh, 2017, and my conferral of my award was 2014. So it was a a very long and enduring work, so that was uh, a very important groundwork for the Commissioner to uh, read and to understand and then to implement in that Chapter 11 and throughout the, the Commissioner's report.
0: It seems that there's a a really um, complex and important relationship between Aboriginal sovereignty, water rights and the overall health of the Murray-Darling Basin. That's right.
1: It is, it is, because sovereignty is something that um, we acknowledge through our Aboriginal laws and our relationships that have been here for tens of thousands of years. Some people would say 100,000 years um, with with different scientific um, experiments. Uh, to acknowledge how long we've been here. But it, it's integral that our sovereignty is acknowledged, even though um, we've seen in Marbo Number 2 uh, versus Queensland that that was an important case on, you know, what rights we did have after British settlement. But our sovereignty is always and always will be um, the most important thing that needs to be acknowledged. And then... It's also then the acknowledgement of Australian laws uh, that will defer um, to, and and in what way they've deferred to, Aboriginal people um, in their role and obligation. So it it is an important part of of the discussion. It doesn't mean that we have to prove our sovereignty. Um, That's a given because of the timeline and the history of this country. Um, it's the First Peoples, the First Nations. But the other issues are that we're still in this um, aqua um I guess, time warp where, you know, we, we, we're clear about how land rights work, but we're still operating in a space where water regulation and um, the understanding of, of and the use of water um, excludes Aboriginal people.
0: And that seems to have really serious ongoing impacts on Aboriginal people and also the health of the environment. I mean, what what would you say the impact of current water management policies for the basin are on Aboriginal communities at present?
1: Well, it, it's very poor because the engagement of Aboriginal people in the Murray-Darling Basin is very poor. There's 3% of people who live in the Basin, who are Aboriginal. And from all of uh, the communities um, and including those um, leading organisations such as NBAN and Mildren, there could be more um, engagement and more um, adherence to what Aboriginal people see as maintaining the health of the river. It's not just Western science, it's Indigenous science. And my role on the Syro the Indigenous Futures Roundtable was one of um, really um, emphasising those issues that it shouldn't just be looked at as a story or um, in a childlike sense. This is serious business. This is Indigenous science. This plays out into the health of the Murray-Darling Basin and it means that Aboriginal people have to be actively there in their role to care for country. And that's been one thing that the Murray-Darling Basin Authority has failed to engage with. And also um, Australian governments uh, have failed to acknowledge that it, it needs the participation, the full participation, for that health of the river to be sustained, that that Indigenous science, that uh, those obligations to care for country need to occur. And that hasn't happened. And uh, the chapter that the, the commissioners set out is acknowledging those things and that the, um, international agreements that are, sit in that Water Act 2007 Commonwealth have also been breached. Um, and one of those documents is very important to Indigenous peoples across the world, which is the Convention on Biological Diversity. And that sets out, um, exactly what those relationships should be in, in, um, biodiversity, um, the balance of those relationships with the access and use of water. And the Commission has pointed out very clearly, and I agree, that the breach of those um, agreements is telling. And so not not enough has really been made of this after the report's been tabled.
0: And it seems as though in a local legislation sense, there are two main pieces of legislation that are especially relevant here, the the Water Act of 2007 and the basin, the basin Plan from 2012, I understand there were some key recommendations from the Commission specifically with regard to Aboriginal water rights and those pieces of legislation.
1: Well, that's right. Um, well, some of the, the minor issues, and, I, and I, I think they're important, however, they're, they're minor in terms of um, key functions and management. Uh, is that Aboriginal people have more uh, to do on the board um, and they're engaged on the board, at least, as the picture says, uh, two parties. But um, the most important thing that's missing, uh, and the findings um, raise this, is that there hasn't been a value on Aboriginal knowledge. Um, there hasn't been an engagement of Aboriginal people um, to participate um, and to advise and to be listened to. And I think that's really important, because as you said, you know, there was a Murray-Darling Basin plan. And that plan itself was really concentrated on irrigators and townships. But it wasn't um, in any way um, raising the issues of how we find solutions and how we have the government engage fully with Aboriginal people. It was uh, like the Windsor Inquiry. was a very short um, few paragraphs about, yes, there is a problem... But um, nothing happened after that. It was still a concentration on uh, agricultural use um, of the water and um, extraction levels. And those issues seem to be really um, showing that Aboriginal people were not dealt with properly. So the Commissioner has really pointed out that it needs to be full engagement, that we need to um, read very carefully those international agreements Um, that have been breached and engage and make sure that Aboriginal peoples function within that Murray-Darling Basin. But the objectives are also to understand the values and uses of water and that's where he relies on my book to um, have a a very clear idea that the ontology of Aboriginal people hasn't even been engaged in that legislation such as you point out with um, the regulations as well with the the Murray-Darling Basin.
0: Mm. and I mean the relationship between water rights and land rights seems entwined but very complex I feel like there's maybe a greater awareness of the importance of land rights for Aboriginal people. Do you feel that an understanding of the importance of water rights is lagging behind
1: i i I think that it's it's not even a big issue to the broader community and and certainly to governments and and that's very telling on the way um, that you read legislation. You know, it just says water in the Northern Territory uh, in their water regulations and and um, uh, concepts of what water is. It's generic. Um, it's an aesthetic value. When they talk about culture in the Northern Territory in in relation to the Act, it's it's more um, recreational. So there there is right throughout um, the legislation of Australia this um, absence of uh, an Aboriginal relationship. And yes, water rights is, is really lagging behind um, land rights. And that was part of my doctoral thesis is to say, well, why? You know, but, but if you look at the history of the country and in those early writings of um, Wentworth, Charles Wentworth, and, and others that came here, the first thing that they wanted to do was to secure the water. Um, to make sure they had access to water and and that's been the the, the competition between Aboriginal people and um, settlers and then societies and communities that aboriginal people are just in in the background of that painting um, they're the ones right up on the top that you know on the on the high mountain that can't be seen in that painting it's it's depicting you know the communities and the societies that are, are settler based but Aboriginal peoples just seem to be completely painted at the top and out out into the far reaches of that painting. And we need to bring that in. And Aboriginal people don't separate land from water. And that's very clear that I've pointed out in my book. And they can't be separated um, in their values and, and their ideas of um, cultural relationships to water. can't be separated out into a bundle of rights. Um, that's that's uh, a... a an incorrect concept, and that's one that's been used in Native Title, for example, where you can take apart that bundle. Well, that doesn't exist in Aboriginal people's understanding of relationships or values to water. So that's what the Commission is also saying, is that we need to first understand that ontology and then we need to say, well, how do we actually reflect this in the legislation? You know, how do we reflect this in the policy? And we have so much um, uh, ability to rise above um, the times of uh, 2004, where Aboriginal people were written out um, in the National Water Initiative as a blueprint uh, for this country of water resources. We need to engage, and we haven't been engaging very well at all.
0: Mm. In terms of finding more information about this issue, you mentioned your book, "Overturning Aquinellius: Securing <coughs> Aboriginal Water Rights."
1: Yes, yes, that was wonderful. That came through a prize that I won as the um, as the best Indigenous thesis. So that was in two thousand fifteen, and that's available on the Australian and Indigenous uh, Studies Press, and also through Macquarie University. My thesis is available on the digital library, and uh, I think that's hit. 7,100 downloads at the moment, so um, thankfully there's a lot of people uh, who are really keen to find out more and that's really encouraging because uh, I can tell you when I started this journey in 2005 with my thesis and my research, people said it was a waste of time um, really going into this area and I think, well, I'm, I'm glad I stayed the course.
0: You just heard Dr. Virginia Marshalls speaking about Aboriginal water rights in the Murray-Darling Basin. If you would like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need at the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a Community Radio National Women's Current Affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to women on the line at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programmes can be downloaded from our website, 3CR.com. Forward slash women on the, line. the theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigre. I'm Emma Hart, hope you can tune in again next time.